If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5 and invite you to join me there this morning as we continue this incredible book, study of this book through the Bible. This is God's Spirit at work through God's people for God's glory, for God's mission. And we are seeing this this gospel spread, uh, what will begin in Jerusalem, into all the corners of the earth. And my hunch is, is that as the apostles are walking through this time, that they are having moments along the way where they may be like, this is way more than I ever imagined. Um, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe there has been, whether it's, it's a time in your life or, or maybe something you were part of before you ever got there, or at least preparing for it in your head intellectually, you're like, I got this. I know what this is all about. Only to get into that place or that opportunity. And you're like, whoa, this is way bigger than anything that I had ever realized or ever thought. Uh, I was reminded of uh, a little while ago, I had this, this stirring to uh, get in shape, to exercise. And, and so I thought, mm, what, what could I do to do that? Got four kiddos and I want to keep up with them. So I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll sign up for a triathlon. I've never been in a triathlon, never done a triathlon, but I'll sign up for a triathlon. I signed up for a triathlon. And so I went online and I found this downloadable, you know, prepare for a triathlon <laughs> plan. And, and I did not follow it very well, but I tried. And so I will never forget that day when my lovely bride and I got in our minivan and in my, my swim trunks, a white t-shirt, and a borrowed bicycle. And we went to this triathlon. And boy, were my eyes ever open. <laughs> I was like, whoa, there's a whole culture out there. There's a whole world. Lots of spandex, lots of sponsorships everywhere. All these incredible, awesome bicycles people are getting out. And I'm like, what have I done? Why, what am I doing Get checked in. I make my way to the lake, which it was where the, the, the first leg of the race was the swim. And we're walking down. I'm making small talk with one of the guys. And he's like, so where you been training? And I was like, well, I said, there's a pool at the Y. And I've been going to swim there. I said, because it's a 50-meter pool. And, that's, and he just looks at me and he goes, it's not a 50-meter pool. That's a 25-meter pool. And I'm not like super sharp on math. But things are starting to click in my brain that, by the way, I'm barely ready for half of what I'm about to do. And we're walking to the water. And he's like, I'm like, where do we even go? I'd never been there before. Where are we swimming? He was like, you see that buoy way out there? I was like, yeah. He said, okay, look past that. You see that other buoy way out there? He's like, yeah. He's like, that's where you swim. You go all the way there and you come all the way back. And I don't even have time to think. We're just like, they're like, get on your marks. And so I'm in this just gob of people and they're like three, two, one, they fire off the gun and I don't even think, I just jump in with everybody else and, and I'm not a, I've never been like in a wrestling match or an MMA, like cage fighting, none of that, but I think I know what it's like because I got destroyed, like people were swimming over me with haymakers and kicking me and, and I didn't even make it, I don't think, 10 feet in and I'm on my back gasping for breath and I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> and I'm just like, this is way bigger. And I, I apologize uh, many times. I apologize again in the first service, but I want to apologize to my bride again that she had to watch that because it was not pretty. It was not. 
and I will not say where I finished in that race. But here is the thing. The thing is this. The thing is this was way more. This is way more than I ever thought. It was in my head. I thought, oh, I got this. I know what this is about. But the reality of what I was a part of and experiencing was way bigger. And, and I, in, a, in a way, I sense that with the apostles is that, that, that as they were empowered by the Spirit and indwelled with the presence of God, as they were going out, living on mission for the glory of God, for the mission of God, that, that as they're in it, they're like, this is, this is way bigger. This is way bigger than I could have ever imagined. And I just wonder if how many of us, if we were given a sheet of paper and we were simply to ask the question this, what is Christianity? And I want you to imagine what you would write. What would be your definition? What would be your definition? For me, possibly, uh, I would connect a lot of actions to Christianity. I would say, well, well going to church, that's an important thing in Christianity. So kind of like that's that's an important thing or or the Bible. I know the Bible is is important. And so that's something that that's important to Christianity. And so I would maybe check that box or prayer. That's something that we know is important. And so we'll check that box or 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 that as Christians, when it comes around mealtime, especially during the holidays that we gather together and there's a prayer before we eat. And so that is a mark or that we would maybe do good and don't do as many bad things that that was important. But the problem is this, is that if we define Christianity as a list of things to be done, if we're not guarded, it can become just religious motions. That it's so much more that it is not a commitment to religious motions, but rather it is about a commitment to Jesus. And it's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. And that relationship is made possible because of what we call the gospel. It means it's the good news about Jesus. The fact that he made a way for us to have a relationship with him when we had no way. That Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people in their sin alive in Him. In a relationship. And because of that relationship, Jesus Christ, those in Christ, are new creatures. New creations. It's what the Bible teaches us. As Christians, we have been rescued. And because we've been rescued by the grace of God, that means... That He has empowered us for a mission. Not one that we read about and we are reading about. But also today that God wants to work and move through your life. So here's the context of Acts 5. Just a quick recap. Is, is Christ ascended? And He has gifted His church with the empowered presence of the Holy Spirit. Living in His believers. To empower them, to indwell them. It's out of the overflow, Acts 2 tells us, as these apostles, this early church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's the word. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, to the breaking of bread. They lived sacrificially. They lived generously. This was how they lived life. And it was out of the overflow of that that they lived this incredible adventure. They lived this incredible adventure. And Peter and John one day are on the way to temple because... Early in the church, before Christians were kicked out of the temple, they would go to the temple to worship. They would read the scriptures and they would worship King Jesus. And Peter and John are on their way and 
as they go into the temple, there's this main central gate called the beautiful gate. And the Bible teaches us that there was this man who had been lame since birth. He could not walk. And that he was over 40 years old and his friends would carry him and they would place him at this beautiful gate where he would beg every day. His life was the life of a beggar. And so all these people would head into the temple, many of them passing by, Peter and John. Instead of looking away or, or hoping not to make eye contact, Peter makes specific con- eye contact. And he says, Peter says, listen, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And this brother, after having been lame for 40 years, walks. And he goes into the temple with Peter and John, praising the Lord, shouting. I mean, can you imagine? And all the people see what's going on before their eyes. And they're like, I know this guy. This is the guy I've passed by time and time and time again. What is going on? And so this multitude of people are gathering around them on the temple mount. And Peter preaches Jesus. He sees the crowd and he preaches about Jesus Christ being the only way. He preaches the death, the burial, the resurrection of King Jesus. And the Sadducees are a Jewish sect of believers. They're kind of over the temple operations for the temple. And they don't like what they see. So they take Peter and John. They detain them. And then they meet with basically the equivalent of a Jewish Supreme Court. It's called the Sanhedrin. And they, no doubt, are trying to impose their will on Peter and John. They're trying to intimidate them, to put fear in their hearts. And they have no grounds to, uh, to either arrest them or, or do harm to them. And so basically what they say is, hey, just don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they release them. But the Bible says that they were released and they went to their friends and they prayed in unity. Acts 4.24, they prayed that... They prayed to the sovereign Lord, the maker of the heavens, the earth and the seas and everything in it. And they prayed. What did they pray there? They prayed for more courage. They prayed for more boldness. And it's in this setting that that the Jewish leaders don't like what's going on. And persecution is intensifying. We're in Acts 5, but in Acts 2, where Peter preached, thousands repented and accepted Jesus. They were mocking him. In Acts 5, we'll see they are going to be beaten. We just read about it a few moments ago. Persecution's intensifying and it's continuing to grow. And the apostles are right in the middle of a mighty move of God. And and so what I want us to be encouraged by this morning is the active role that these apostles took in the midst of a move of God. Because my hunch is that Believers in the room, we are united in heart to say we would love to see a move of God among us. And that seeing that and God doing that, what is our part in this mission? And so we're going to look at four marks of God's people in the midst of this move. And the first is this, that they lived compassionately. They live compassionately. In Acts chapter 5 verse 12, the Bible says that now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. That's an area on the temple mount there. 
and none of, the, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. We don't know if, if these people were, uh, you know, those that were a part of the local church. I mean, even just before this passage is the passage about Ananias and Sapphira. And, and so they may be like, well, Peter makes me a little nervous. <laughs> I'm gonna get, I don't know if I'm going to hang out or if it was unbelievers. But they were held in high esteem. In verse 14 it says, and more than ever. More than ever, that's a big saying there. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. A mighty move of God. And so they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And then people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The, the, the map of Acts is that the Holy Spirit would empower His people to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That is the outline for the book of Acts. You just see the gospel continuing to go out. And for the first time, what we see is people from neighboring towns are, are hearing and learning about the gospel and what's going on. And they're coming into Jerusalem. And the apostles' lives were marked with compassion. That's way more than concern. We're concerned about a lot of things, but to have compassion is to match concern with action. It was more. These apostles were building relationships. They were investing their time with people whose lives were messy. That they were investing in those who were troubled and those who had need. I have no doubt that the apostles had plenty to do, but yet they were making time to invest in what some would consider the least. That it was out of their love for God that they loved people. And God responds to a humble heart. He responds to those in need. The early church has always had a super strong ministry to the marginalized. Those who some would say are insignificant. But I encourage us to be reminded today that every single person is significant in the eyes of the Lord. That the Bible tells us that all men and all women are created in the image of God. That we are image bearers. And so be encouraged that if you walk in this room or you listen in online, and for whatever reason you feel insignificant, you feel like maybe you don't have whatever you think you should have to offer, be reminded that you are so significant and God loves you and God doesn't mess up God makes masterpieces the church can never turn their back on those who are needy this means we must always keep our hearts tender compassionate we have to be careful our heart doesn't get to a cold hard unconcerned place but yet we're sensitive to the heartbeat of God who has a heart for people so live compassionately, this is what they did, but they also shared courageously. They shared courageously, verse 17 says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles, and they put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. So again, just to recap, 
You got Peter and John were initially rest, arrested and detained for bringing healing in the name of Jesus to this brother who had not been able to walk for 40 years. They were arrested. They were later released. But then they go back to the very place that they were detained and they keep preaching Jesus. And then they were arrested again. And this time all of the apostles are arrested. And in the middle of the night, an angel in a miraculous act frees them up. And then they go and stand in the very same place and preach the words of life. They were courageous. They were courageous. And what's amazing is the transformation that happened from Easter Sunday to what we're reading right now. Because on Easter Sunday, the Bible tells us that the disciples were in an upper room and they had the door locked. And they gathered in fear because they thought they would be next. What they saw done to Jesus would be done to them. And so they are hunkered down. They are doors locked. They are fearful. But yet we fast forward to Acts 5. And they keep going back and getting arrested. Going back and preaching Jesus. An angel releases them. And they go back and preach again. Same place. That is the difference of the Holy Spirit. This is what God has empowered them to do, which, by the way, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in miracles. So they have a lot to consider, especially when they discover the prison cell is, is, is empty. And so these apostles were marked by courage. And I, I, find it, I, I find it powerful that they started in their hometown. They started in Jerusalem. It's going to go out to the ends of the earth, but it starts in Jerusalem. And I just thought about this. That, that I don't know about you, but there's at times where going to a, a different faraway place that maybe I'm not super connected with, that perhaps it's easier to share Jesus than someone that is right across the street from your home. Or I think about students being in school and, 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 and I realize things have looked very different, but yet, but yet even there, like perhaps the, 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 the courage, uh, God's spirit to, to share Jesus and Maybe other places, but yet there is this student there who, who we see, who nobody ever sits beside, nobody ever talks to. And yet this is, this, sometimes it can be hard to have the courage to go up and to begin a conversation. Or it could be someone in your family. Sometimes it's those that are closest to us. That it can be a challenge to, to desire to share, but yet this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes to give courage that as believers those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ we have all the biblical information we need God give us courage give us courage I got a I got a note from a a friend of mine that's in ministry in Florida and uh, he got a note from a student who uh, goes to the University of Florida down there I asked the first crowd I ask you guys is there anybody that is a Florida Gator fan in the house there's still only one, okay? Um, my wife is from Florida, so um, she whooped the first one. I was going to see if she did it again, and she's still the only one. Okay, we love you, though. But, but she's a Florida Gator. She sent this note. Here's what she said. She said, please pray for me. Tonight is the last official class for my public speaking course, other than our final. We have to give a persuasive speech worth a very significant portion of our grade. And I'm giving my eight-minute speech on the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. And my visual aid component is going to be the three circles presentation. Uh, we had many, several go through the three circles gospel presentation. That's something we want to keep in front of us. But it's a way to share the good news about Jesus. 
She says this, she says, please pray that I can share the gospel with my entire class. I love this, boldly. She says, and please pray that people take me up on my offer to talk to any of them about the content afterwards. I'm praying for softened hearts, open minds, and for courage. She says, my speech class is from 5 to 8, 10 p.m. I'll probably be presenting around 6.30 p.m. What does she pray for? She says, courage. Give me courage. Pray for courage. This is exactly what the apostles prayed for. Is exactly what God gave them. This is a prayer that God loves to answer. I'm convinced. That back in Acts 4, when they were initially released, they went and gathered their friends and they prayed to the Lord. And they said this in Acts 4.29, look upon their threats, talking about the opposition they had experienced. They said, grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. So God, may we live compassionately. May we share courageously. But also that we prepare knowingly. That we understand that a call to follow Jesus is a call to die to self. And that the world is continuing to grow more hostile to Christianity to the gospel of Jesus and that there is a very real potential to know that you will face we will I will face opposition in Acts chapter 5 verse 21 that second half of that verse says now when the high priest came and those who were with him they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and they sent to they sent to the prison to have them brought the apostles And verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. And so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they are teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. This is familiar territory. This is not the first time this has happened. Peter and John, now the, all the apostles... It says, and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. A whole city has been made known the gospel of Jesus because of the faithful witness of the church. I just think about even that in our communities and Olive Branch and South Haven and Holly Springs and Independence, Memphis, all right here, Hernando, all right in here in this area. That that the church that has been rescued by Jesus, that by His grace and in His power, that we make Jesus known. And yet onlookers are like, this whole city has been filled with the gospel of Jesus. That's what's happening here. And he they goes on to say, Caiaphas, he says, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? They're talking about Jesus. You intend to mean Jesus' blood on us? Yes. 100% yes. Why? Because it's exactly what they asked for. If we were to go back in Matthew chapter 27 
And it's the scene where Jesus is being held on trial before Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the governor there in Rome. And you would find that it was in that midst that Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and all of them are stirring up the city to have Christ crucified. It was the it was the tradition that the governor would release one prisoner on Passover. And so so we have Christ. And by the way, Pilate is trying his best to clear his conscience and just release Jesus. But the Jews aren't having anything to do with it. And so he brings Barabbas. Barabbas, the Bible says, was a notorious prisoner. So we're not talking about somebody, maybe there's some minor crime. We're talking about a notorious prisoner. And he looks at the people and says, who shall be released? And the verse 20 of Matthew 27 says, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. And the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us. This is what he wanted. And we continue to follow this text. Verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Peter, again, is giving them Jesus, giving them Jesus, giving them Jesus. And yet their hard hearted, prideful, jealous hearts continue to deny Christ. It says in, it says in verse 32 that. That the Holy Spirit was witness to all that was going on whom God had given to those who obey Him. And when they had heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Just going to time out. He sees what's happening. He's like, okay, apostles, step out into the hallway. We need to have a conversation. And so it says here in verse 35 that he said, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and it came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people. After him, he too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep I keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan for this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. And so what Gamaliel is saying is he's saying, hey, we've seen this kind of thing happen before. We've seen a popular leader and get a lot of energy around that. And people follow, but ultimately it flames out because if it's of man, it ultimately won't ever last. And so he gives one occurrence, he gives another one, but he says, if this is of God, he says, you won't be able to overthrow him. You can't stop the mission of God. 
You can't stop the plan of God. You can't stop the mission of God. Job 42.2, I've shared it often, but I love this passage. Job says, I know that you, talking to the Lord, can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is encouragement. This is encouragement to the God we sing to, the God we worship, the God we yield our lives to, that He is in control of all things. And so Gamaliel says, verse 39, you might, you go against these guys, you might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and to let them go. Prepare knowingly. Prepare knowingly. Suffering is a theme in the New Testament. Suffering is a theme in the Bible. We see people who are rescued. They are willing to go wherever. They are willing to do whatever. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It is the road less traveled. Suffering is never a goal, but as we pursue Jesus, it is very real that we may experience it. And we know those serving in the farthest corners of the globe do experience it. This past Friday, it was April 9th, and it was the anniversary of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's death. I don't know if that name might ring a bell, but he wrote some incredible works. He was a German pastor during the Nazi regime. And it was said about him that as he was on his way to be executed by hanging, he said that he turned to his fellow prisoner, whose name was Payne Best, and said this, this is the end, but for me it is the beginning of life. That after the war, there's obviously been a lot of, a lot of historical work and books being done, but a concentration camp medical doctor was reflecting on this German pastor's final moments. And here's what he said. He said, In almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. They prepare knowingly. And yet in the move of God, there are, there are invisible enemies that we all know about that are very real. That I mentioned the pride of the Sadducees. I mentioned the jealousy of the Sadducees. mentioned the comfort. I mean, they had basically reached the top of the ladder if you're trying to climb one. They were among the religious elite. They were no doubt very comfortable. They were no doubt very jealous that here's this group that has now gathered all this attention. And yet their hard hearts just would not open, would not realize that Christ was the Messiah. They were, they were prideful and jealous and comfort. And I would just say to us, may we be warned by how much they enjoyed their power and how much they enjoyed their control and how much they enjoyed social privilege and how much they enjoyed their popularity and how much they enjoyed their comfort and that they were threatened by the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was a threat to their own personal kingdom. The rule and reign of God was a threat to their comfort. And so could it be that God is calling us as believers in whatever way the Holy Spirit works uniquely in each of our lives. But yet, is there something, is there a comfort of some sort that God would call us to give up to take the gospel 
further. We know that the warning that what is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his soul. And so these apostles are active in this move of God. They are living compassionately. They are sharing courageously. They are preparing knowingly. But a, a fourth and final just observation here is that they rejoice and they keep going. They rejoice and they keep going. Verse 41 says, And they left, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I think about things in my life that I get excited about. I think about times where I've been super excited. And, and I don't know that I use the word rejoicing, but that's what I'm doing. And, and yet here these brothers are. We know what that means. We know what that's like. There are something somewhere along the way that we have rejoiced about. And they are rejoicing at the fact that they just got beaten. And that it, because of Jesus that they they... They are humbled to have suffered, to have suffered dishonor for the name of Jesus. Frontline gospel ministry energizes. It really does. Think about those times where you've been most alive in your faith. Those times where your heart beats a little faster than it normally does. And it's typically when you're a part of those frontline ministry efforts. Verse 42 says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They got beaten. They were released. They were rejoicing. Did not change anything. Day by day, they're back at the temple. <laughs> they're back in Solomon's portico. They're back where they've been continuing to go back time after time after time after time. Because this was God's assignment for them. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, they proclaim the good news and the hope of Jesus. And not only that, but in homes to homes. And they kept going. These apostles got exactly what they prayed for. They prayed for courage. And that's exactly what God gave them. And so looking at this text, I think we would all agree that we want to see a move of God. That we want to see revival that the Bible, as it described, seeing multitudes of men and women coming to faith. We want to see that. But what is our role in that? And it would just be this encouragement of compassion and courage. And know that we are in a spiritual war and know that there is opposition. But to rejoice and keep going because He's worthy. And let us not forget that it all, it all was the overflow of their devotion to the word and to prayer and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. It was all the overflow of that. And so as we wrap up this morning and pray, um, uh, for the believers in the room, just, we just want to pray for courage. We want to pray for eyes of compassion. We want to pray that we would walk in the power of the Spirit and see people the way He does and minister the way He does. I would just take an opportunity to one to say if you're not connected on a Wednesday evening and so if you're not currently in a place of, of ministry or service, uh, that on Wednesday nights, Pastor Michael is leading an effort that we're just calling Praying with Our Neighbors. 
and on Wednesday nights, uh, meeting and going out in threes, and we're going door to door with our neighbors, and and uh, and we're just beginning by asking, hey, are there any? Is there anything that we could serve you with, and or any needs that you're aware of? And then we ask them how we can pray for them, and if they're warm, warm and open, then we take it a little bit further and ask if they're connected to a church home. And if they're open, we go a little bit further and share the good news of Jesus. And so, one, I would say pray for those teams that are going out, but I'd also say, you know, come on out and join us. And, and, and we walk through it together, but that we would be living intentionally and living on mission for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Um, as we pray, I want to ask a question. And, uh, and perhaps there is somebody close to you who you know needs to hear the gospel of Jesus. Perhaps it is somebody that you live with. Perhaps it is someone that you go to school with. Perhaps it is somebody that you're really good friends with. Perhaps it's somebody that you work with. Perhaps it's somebody in your family. Perhaps it's someone that somewhere along the way, God has just placed on your heart in a unique way, knowing that they need, they need to hear the gospel of Jesus. And then just even in our everyday interactions as they did, just this need for courage and so with with our with our heads bowed and our eyes closed I just want to ask this question is there anybody in here who would say will you please pray for me because I need courage is there anybody if that's you would you just where you're at right there just slide your hand up and say would you pray for me would you pray that God would give me courage to share all over the room, there are hands. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, we need your courage. We know that this is a prayer that honors you. We know that it's a prayer that you love to answer. We know that this is one of the reasons that you have gifted us with your Holy Spirit. God, that you have given us your presence, living in us, dwelling in us, to be a witness. To tell others what we see and have experienced of Jesus. And so for these that have raised their hands and my hands up, God, give us courage. Help us to share this news. And in it, God, give us eyes of compassion. God, may we share courageously. May we understand that opposition is a real thing. But yet, what an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. And that not only that, but God, we would find our joy in you, rejoicing that we would be counted worthy to serve you and that we would keep going. God, I pray for that person who has been praying for someone in their world for years and years and years. God, I pray, Father, for salvation. I pray, Father, that the spiritual blinders would be lifted, that the gospel would be heard and received, and that lives would be changed. God, use us. Use us.
to share your grace and your love with this whole community and beyond. Give us courage. And Father, for anyone who may be in the room today or listening in online, that today they would be reminded of your incredible love for them. I love how the apostles described it. It's the word of life. It's the good news. And it's the good news that in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That our sin is serious. It carries with it a wage. It carries with it a payment. And that payment apart from Jesus is eternity separated from God. Eternity in hell. But you came for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And God, through Your Word, You teach us that if we will acknowledge our sin and we will repent, we will have a change of mind, a change of thinking, a change of direction regarding our sin. And we turn to You and accept You Lord Jesus, as Lord of our lives, embracing your death, your burial, your resurrection, you bringing life over death, hell, and the grave. You promise to bring salvation. So God, I pray for that person who is living apart from you, that today would be the day of salvation. So Father, in this time, would you work in our hearts? And God, we pray you move among us. God, use us to proclaim you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. And just want to encourage you that there's freedom, that, that as pastors, we'll have pastors here that would love the opportunity to pray over you. Perhaps you want to come and pray on the altar. Perhaps you want to make your seat an altar. But just feeling that freedom to respond how God leads. And if you're here and you're like, I need Jesus. I need a relationship with Jesus. I encourage you to come. That today be the day of salvation. And let's be sensitive to the Lord's leading this morning.